Steve said two parrots walked into a bar. <laughs> I'm out of parrot jokes tonight. A Wall Start store, a Wall Start, a Walmart store that sells husbands has just opened in Dallas, Texas, where a woman can go to choose a husband from among many men. Among the instructions at the entrance is a description of how the store operates. There are six floors, and it states that the attributes of the men increase as the shopper ascends the flights. There is, however, a catch. As you open the door to any floor, you may choose any man from that floor, but if you go up a floor, you cannot go back down except to exit the building. You all got the plan here? So a lady goes to the Walmart husband store to find a husband. On the first floor, the sign on the door reads, Floor 1, these men have jobs. The second floor sign reads, these men have jobs and love kids. The third floor sign reads, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Kind of getting to the Luke the Man kind of <laughs> level there. Wow, she thinks but feels compelled to keep going. She goes to the fourth floor and the sign reads, these men have jobs, love kids, are drop dead good looking, and help with the housework. Oh, mercy me, she exclaims. I can hardly stand it. Still, she goes to the fifth floor, and the sign reads, These men have jobs, love kids, are drop-dead gorgeous, help with the housework, and have a strong romantic streak. She is so tempted to stay. But she goes to the sixth floor, and the sign reads, You are visitor 3,456,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. <laughs> Thank you for shopping Walmart's husband's store. Watch your step when you exit the building and have a nice day, of course. Yeah, I know. There's also a Walmart women's store for men, and um, you'll have to get that from someone else sometime. So very quickly, um, your church might be a redneck church. We actually just tell you on the front end, we have qualified for several of these here at St. Paul's. Your, your church might be a redneck church if the pastor said, I'd like to ask Bubba to help take up the offering, then five guys and two women stand up. <laughs> and your church may be a redneck church if opening day of deer season is recognized as an official church holiday. That's here. A member of the church requests to be buried in his four-wheel drive truck because I, it ain't never been in a hole it couldn't get out of. <laughs> this also could be St. Paul's. This church may be a redneck church. In a congregation of 500 members, there are only seven last names in the church directory. <laughs> last one. Um, there are more, but... We better stop. This, your church may be a redneck church if people think rapture is what you get when you lift something too heavy. Yeah. It, yeah. Enough's enough. Yay, the jokes are over. Hallelujah. Hosanna. So one of my favorite 20th century wise men of the church, William Temple, he was a high bishop of England during World War II, and he wrote some wonderful books. 
And one of his great, great lines, uh, when you're trying to get things reduced to the bare minimum, uh, somebody asked him about uh, prayer and was it worth praying for things. And just a topic about does God heal today, I think it's on page maybe 76 of your book if you're following. I'm going to follow it somewhat, but not completely. But William Temple said this, and I just love this, and I, I took ownership of it for my own life too. He, he answered the question about prayer and its uh, effectiveness. He says, well, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. That's a lovely way to address and, ex- and delve into this mystery of how does prayer work. And I know God sometimes says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says not yet. But I do believe all prayer is answered, and it's for our benefit. But I love the way William Temple puts it. When I pray, coincidences, or I need to say, happen. And when I stop praying, those coincidences stop happening. So the great advice in that is to pray as the gospel really encourages us. Jesus does. And he says, pray persistently and pray expectantly and pray boldly uh, what is on your heart. So one week ago, um, I woke up at about 4 a.m. with a what's called a cluster headache. I don't get them very often anymore. Used to, um, but cluster headaches are awful. They're, they, uh, they're as bad as a migraine, I would say. Um, they're different from a migraine. They're, uh, they're not on one side of your head. They, uh, it's a band around your head. And the mysterious thing, thing about cluster headache, I thought, what's going The first one I ever had, I, I didn't even know what was going on. But I could not sit down or lie down with it. I had to stand up. And uh, I had to just kind of move. And so and they invariably seemed to happen in the middle of the night. This one woke me out of my sleep. And uh, it, it started, and I said, oh, there's my old friend, and uh, this thing. And so I tried to sleep, it, sleep through it, and it wouldn't let me sleep through it. It was getting worse and getting worse. And um, so I finally got up, and I, uh, Advil was very helpful. I took four Advil, and um, I started roaming the house in the pitch black. I, you know, I had a little flashlight and a little headlamp that I just was carrying. I couldn't lay down. I couldn't sit down. It's the most awful, frustrating thing in the world because you're t- I mean, sitting there yawning and the last, what you want to do is lay down. And cluster headaches, that is a characteristic of cl- cluster headache is you have to stay vertical. So um, I finally got to about 6.30, and uh, it, I wasn't getting relieved. So I went in, and uh, I woke my wife, Ellen, who is not an early riser. She likes to sleep in. So 6.30 was not her wake-up time at all. And I said, I need some help. And I said, uh, can you just massage my shoulders, and, uh, and uh, will you say a prayer? And so she, she got up, and um, give me a, the massage um, was helpful. And then she, bless her heart, and when, she, when she prayed for me, she really prayed. She laid hands on my head, and she simply called upon the Lord Jesus to come and bring healing. And I can only tell you as, you know, as, a, as, as testimony, I can't prove her anything, but as she was praying, I, I began to feel a little bit better. I mean, I could, there, was a, there was a lessening. There was a lightening up. And... Um, she massaged my shoulder some more um, after that prayer. Um, but where I, the, my focus, my attention was that prayer time was uh, just uh, was really marvelous. And 15 minutes later, I was lying down, and I slept it off and woke up a couple hours later. And I, I just, when I pray, you know, when, you know, coincidences happen. And when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. I have permission to tell this story. Uh, I may have, her name, I may, she said, you can use my name if you want. Steve Razor and I have been in a, in a life group this year together, and uh, we began this life group as strangers. Uh, I to the Razors, he and his wife, and we were strangers to another couple named the Fast. Um, and they were a young couple and unexpectedly fell into our older group. You know, we're grizzled and 
grayed hair and all that, and the pastor are young. And uh, once we uh, got to know each other, it takes a few weeks to kind of, you know, um, warm up to one another when you're totally gassed. And so it, it was after a few weeks, uh, she, we were going around the room receiving prayer requests, and she, uh, with tears in her eyes, said, we want to be pregnant so much. And she said, we just have not been able to get pregnant. And uh, said, you know, she was really kind of asking strangers, but they were new to this area, and they were trusting this small group. They've been in it just long enough, three times, and she just, it was just that urgent to her. And so um, um, she said, uh, we just we can't get pregnant. That, you know, have at that point in your life. So that night, we laid hands on Patricia. We gathered around the small group, laid hands on her. This is bodacious, you know, and said, just, oh, yeah, we'll pray for you. Uh, that's a nice kind of prayer, but I tell you, the more personal and close you can get to this, the, the more powerful it seems to be. And hands laid on a person and words of love said in that trusting environment, kind of confessional where she's sharing from her heart a deep, a deep wound, really, a hurt. And she's willing to share that and and, uh, and then we responded by we all laid hands on her, and a bunch of us said words as well. And uh, so it began a journey during our small group meetings of prayers for her. And she, at one point along the way, and she gave me permission to share this, she had a, a special procedure, not IVF, but IUF, which is a, a, a very much more moderate, less expensive way of trying to help conception. And uh, the, the percentages, as I recall, were not very high that that would be successful, but they said they'd try it. But lo and behold, uh, along the way, you know, a week or two, three weeks later, she, she was pregnant. So we had this journey th this past year with the FAST, who bore this child uh, uh, this summer. And just uh, for us, uh, you know, where did the prayer come in about? How did that prayer happen? Uh, all, all we know is that... Um, there was a turning point even that night we prayed there's something she has in that story where that night something was different but um, uh, so now they have this precious little girl Anna who's going to be baptized in about one week two weeks here at St. Paul's and she, to us she's a miracle and just one of God's gifts you know when, when we pray coincidences happen you know stop praying coincidences stop happening I share those two stories because those are within the last weeks and months of my life of uh, of answered prayer, and uh, there are others I could share, but we don't have time tonight, and that's one of the lovely things is that uh, if you look through history, if you start to delve into, well, has there been answered prayer and healing prayer through the ages, and it is just amazing the amount of testimony and witness there is to this event. So um, the question, the title for this, which I just love, is Does God Heal Today? You know, nice to hear about those stories. But as God healed today, and again, my stories are contemporaneous stories. And uh, there are folks right here in this room that I know who can stand up and say, let me tell you how God heals today. And we have, uh, a, um, we believe it, we embrace it, we celebrate it, and we, uh, we pray for the unexpected to happen. It's important to remember that the Greek word for to be saved, because we talk about Jesus saved, the Greek word is sozo. Um, and uh, that same word is translated to be healed. It's kind of interesting, too, that Jesus saves is the same word. If you, you could translate anywhere in Scripture, when you see that word, Jesus saves, or Jesus the Savior, um, or the, however, it's that Jesus heals, Jesus the healer. We were on a trip to Israel. We had the extreme delight and pleasure, finally, to fulfill a dream. I'm 63 now. I was probably 55, so after 55 years of wanting to go to Israel or 
30 years wanting to go as a priest and finally getting to go to Ishmael. And uh, we have a fellow on a trip named Chuck, who's a member of our church. And uh, he ran into a huge uh, bad knee problem that kicked up. He said, I've always had this bad knee. It drives me crazy. And um, we, th- the more walking we did, the more pain he had. And he, he's a fairly reticent uh, individual. And he, we were in a, again, you know, we have a group of about 15. We were gathered tonight in a day, just reflecting on the day. And we closed with prayer. And he had the courage. See, it takes, it takes courage. And he stepped out and he said, by the way, my knee is just killing me. He said, I don't know if I can even walk tomorrow. And he said, I'm, I'm not sure this. He, he was, um, he's from uh, a different denominational background he, where prayer was not very much emphasized. He said, I'm not sure what you do about that, but it, could, can you all, could we pray or something like that? And again, um, we took the bolder approach and uh, several of us laid hands on him. Um, uh, I think I even may have put, just knelt down and put my hands on his knees. I just, this touch seems really important to him. God uses hands for healing and for anointing. Gary's going to get a bunch of hands laid on his head by the priests on Friday night and the bishop's hand. It's, it's a gorgeous sight and just you feel this incredible weight of priests anointing and priests consecrating for their next season of their life. And uh, so we prayed for Chuck. We all went to bed. The next day we have one of the biggest walks of the night. We're at a place called, uh, oh, I won't be able to call it the name. It doesn't really matter, but it had a, a huge called a tell but it's a huge mound of centuries of cities that just build up build up so this incredible stairway to walk to the top of this mountaintop thing this tell as it's called it was like 150 250 steps i mean it was huge well steve uh, he said my knee's feeling better and so he um he uh he said i think we'll give it a try so he walks up the entire thing he said you, and he comes back down so that he, he told he tells someone then he said it didn't hurt at all you know, so, and then that night when we we're all together, he said, "Let me tell you," I, he said. He said that was unbelievable. He said that's the best my knee has felt in forever, and uh, he he said that was. He said I'm great, and he just could not help but just you know, s- you know, mystery of physical healing and prayer energy. I don't know how that worked or what what that was about, but I saw it. I was there, and I saw him climb those steps. I couldn't believe it when I seen him. I said, "That's incredible." And he was he'd been limping like this the day before, you know, and he just went right up. Now, five, that's, that's eight, nine years ago, seven, six or seven years ago, and he has since had knee replacement. So, um, you know, it stayed well. It, it sure got him to that place, and it got him to another place at some point. And that is to say, does God heal today? You know, he gives us these brilliant uh, surgeons. He gives us technology. He gives us therapies and treatments that are just, but as, as Christians, we say they're all from the Lord, um, and so many of these local physicians so often are Christians themselves, and so many of them uh, are, are God men because they've seen miracles, and they, they can't explain. And so they said, well, you know, we bring God into this mix too, but here's some medicine to try as well, and so on and so forth. So let's say this. Jesus can heal. Jesus does heal. And he heals all sorts of wounds. I thought I'd talk about those physical examples First, just to say, you know, that's in some ways, in some ways, the most extraordinary, in some ways, the least extraordinary. That's, that's easier to fix than some of the wounds of the heart, is a, a physical ailment. But um, uh, to acknowledge that uh, uh, that he's, he will uh, he will make us well. Uh, he will hear our prayers and say, "Yes, I can bless this. I will I will touch this. I I can change this." 
Um, not only do we have physical wounds, but we have emotional wounds. And uh, mine were hidden for so long. I, you told me when I was 20 years old I had emotional wounds. I would say, huh? What do you, what do you mean by emotional wounds? But uh, by the time I was 30 or 35, some things start percolating up, and I realize there's some real brokenness and some real hurt and some real unintended wounds from the past that, um, that I needed to look at. And uh, those wounds from long ago, um, they can sometimes be still very active and present in our lives today. And so um, uh, these effects are often uh, manifest themselves and become very visible. And what's amazing, we're talking about past wounds from a childhood of a five-year-old or a three-year-old or a nine-year-old. And we worship a Lord who, the Bible tells us, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the mystery of time and the, the rising above time on another plane, Jesus can reach into the past and he can bring restoration and wholeness. And if we had time tonight, I would happily tell you the stories my own personal story of how he has made me a more whole person because of the wounds that I, I did not know were even there until I became aware because they, they were affecting my present life and they were the wounds of the past. Um, but um, the, the shorthand version of that would be, I'm convinced uh, now, I wasn't told this, that I was an unwanted, unexpected child. I'm the seventh of eight children. And uh, uh, my mom and dad were in a very, very stressful situation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he was a parish priest, and all hell was breaking loose. And the last thing they needed was to be pregnant again. And right after uh, uh, mom found she was pregnant, dad lost his job. So he had six children, one on the way. In a foreign land, we were Southerners. He's way up there in Pittsburgh. And uh, no job, nothing to go to. And, uh, and I was born in that milieu. And um, I, um, uh, I have other hints and guesses of thinking of that it wasn't intended, but just being that experience of an unwanted child and not feeling loved nor needed as I, and I could go on and on and unpack that much further, uh, and I won't, but just say that's the sort of thing I'm talking about, uh, where it created, it was an unintended wound, but I think it was a genuine and authentic wound. And I had to deal with insecurity and an extreme self-consciousness and a, uh, a, uh, a low self-esteem all my life. And all I can say is what you all heard me say on Sunday morning sometimes, that, that great Gert Hannah, oh Lord, I ain't what I ought to be, oh Lord, I ain't what I want to be, I ain't what I'm going to be, but thanks Lord, I ain't what I used to be. It is impossible for me to be standing up and talking in front of people. You have no idea the depth of shyness and introversion and inward person that I was as a, as a youth and as a young adult and to be transformed into somebody who can share comfortably in a group like this without falling flat on my face, basically. Emotional healing, and not only physical healing, emotional healing, there's a third category of healing that is available to us that Jesus helps us with, and I call it spiritual healing. Um, I, I put under spiritual, um, there's sometimes a need for us to forgive someone. We can carry a seed of bitterness, resentment, or hatred that is like a toxic waste container which has been buried in the ground and forgotten, but it's down in our spirit. And it becomes like a taproot of bitterness and resentment and then ultimately hatred. And that container begins to leak and um, 
it's like toxic poison going everywhere in our life, and it turns us into a bitter, spiteful person, ultimately, if we don't do anything about it. That's the kind of spiritual healing, because sometimes things seem unforgivable. I'm not talking about reconciliation. That is a whole different topic. But it's essential for one's spiritual well-being to be able to forgive those who have hurt us, and especially those who have hurt us the worst. And everyone in here has an awful story to tell of betrayal or of such deep hurt that you're thinking, I could never forgive that person, or you're tempted to think, never forgive that person. That's the spiritual healing. And the Holy Spirit often becomes the energy, the dynamism, that enables us to do the impossible and say, I do forgive them. Jesus says 70 times 7 you need to forgive. And what he's saying is just keep forgiving that person until it's all cleaned out. And forgiveness gets to that point where when you think of that person, there is not one bit of resentment or bitterness toward them. And you may even say, God bless them, and may God help them on their way. And it ends with a prayer. And you realize you've been completely cleaned out of that root of bitterness that has grown there of unforgiveness. It's a courageous thing to do. It's an essential thing to do. It's about spiritual healing, and the Lord Jesus can help with that. And sometimes we need, as a spiritual issue, to receive forgiveness. We're guilty. And sometimes we have done something we ought not to have done, and it's in all caps. And usually they're the secrets of the heart. Uh, Maybe only we and the person who it was done to knows about it. It may be something deep and profound. But... um, we come to a conviction of it was wrong, and we want to make it right, and uh, we need to receive forgiveness. And so uh, confession is a order of healing, and um, sometimes uh, we need to uh, confess it to another person as we confess it to the Lord. Sometimes we even feel more comfortable going to a priest or a pastor and confessing it. Uh, we can do it with a therapist, but sometimes we have to just own up. And basically it's an I did it, it was horribly wrong. God's forgiveness, and I'm going to seek out this person's forgiveness and go ask for their forgiveness because uh, I need to do that. So there are three kinds, physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. Um, Remember, as I said earlier, that uh, God seems to bless and has provided for us two kinds of healing. I call one kind a natural kind. It's medicine and surgery and technology. All good things come from the Lord. And all of that is a benefit to this culture and this affluent Western culture that we should give God the credit for. As I said, most professional uh, medical people do. They they will not say, these are not just my hands, these are the hands that God has given me to do this surgery, or so on and so forth. Uh, The the doctor who can diagnose a mysterious illness because he's got just the brightest of heads on his shoulders, and he said, I think I know what's going on. And he names it and says, thank God for a person who has that skill and that ability. Nurses and counselors and therapists, we celebrate them as a means, um, instruments in God's hands. But there is this other kind, the more mysterious and what I call rather natural, the supernatural variety. Uh, And I call it, uh, to give it a church name, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember the third person of of the Christian God uh, that we say three, he's a three-person God. He is Father, he is Jesus the Son, and he is the Holy Spirit. This is the particular um, uh, arena of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ Jesus. Uh, it's the Spirit of the Lord. But he has his own kind of identity in Scripture also as simply the Holy Spirit. 
uh, you know, that pneuma word of, of, uh, of the New Testament Greek for spirit is the same word for breath and wind. It's the wind of God. It's the breath of God. And so it's something sacred and holy that can blow upon us or come upon us. And so the means, our tools of the trade, because these are the tools not given to physicians and, and nurses and therapists. It's given to the people of the church not only to the ordained by any means. We will have prayer ministry here tonight to offer a model this night. And uh, you will see that the majority uh, by far of those who are offering prayer are ministers, because uh, are lay people, are people, not pastors. They're, they are disciples of the Lord. They're followers of Christ. And uh, they have been called into this ministry. And uh, our, our tools of the trade is love and prayer, uh, a particular way of prayer, a model of prayer, Prayer that is expectant and bold and uh, you know, goes to the jugular, if you will, about this particular problem. And, and, and love, just backing all behind that. It's just uh, as you encounter these individuals tonight, if you choose to go to one of these prayer groups tonight, there'll be a pair here, a pair there, a pair there. If you choose to go to one, I believe you'll just sense the love of these individuals. It's part of their ministry and calling. But uh, they have qualified themselves by this abundant love they have for God's people and other people. And just to keep in mind that uh, like medicine, does medicine work 100% of the time? Well, you probably say, no, not 100% of the time. I, you know, that Advil wasn't cutting it for me the other night. You know, it, it, it usually is a cure. You know, it can do it. it usually knocks it out. It didn't. Uh, does surgery work 100% of the time? No, I've heard people have had to have another repeat surgery or you know, unfortunately, sometimes back surgery, people say, well, it, it, it didn't, you know, I'm still in pain and so on and so forth. Does chemo or radiation work 100% of the time? No. Do we stop using all those means? We do not because we know so often they are efficacious. I love that word. That's a nice potent word. They are effective. And so we continue to hope that this next round, this next way is going to do it. So we can say, if we ask, does prayer work the way we want it to work 100% of the time? And we have to say, no, it doesn't work the way we want it to work 100% of the time. As I said, God's prayers are often answered by a yes, a no, or a not yet. Um, but we pray the way Jesus has taught us to pray, and that is expectantly, specifically, and persistently, with lips and our hearts of love and with our hands. That's somehow the mystery of touch. Um, somebody tried to explain that once, and he said, you know, when we are given life coming from the womb, a, a doctor or a midwife lays their hands upon the head of the child coming out of the womb and helps draw that child into life. There, that's an incredible, intimate grace and power in that thought. And that somehow hands, you know, people who are in hospital beds and they're almost nearly comatose, uh, their hearing often remains to almost the very, very end. And, uh, and touch is so extraordinarily important to a very sick person. Uh, it, it, is co it conveys love. It, con it conveys care. It conveys compassion. And I would add also for the Christian, it conveys power to that person. So lips and hearts and hands. If we were to go through the Old Testament, there are numerous stories of miraculous healing. If we were to go to the New Testament, we would see that healing has been part and parcel of the Christian witness, if you will. Uh, Jesus begins his ministry, and uh, he says, the time has come. That's in the first chapter of Mark. 
it's in your, you can find it in your guide when you want to look at it at home. And uh, the time's, what kind of time? Well, a new time. Something different is about to happen on planet Earth. And he says the kingdom of God is near, whatever that means. What is the kingdom of God? But what we do find out is that Jesus is the point man for it. And what comes behind in, in the train of the, of the point man is some miraculous and amazing stuff. And he says, repent. And he says, that means have a change of heart. Look at things differently because things are about to change. And believe the good news. The Savior, the healer is here. So Jesus begins his ministry, the fourth chapter of Matthew. Again, you'll, you can follow your outline, look it up later. He goes throughout Galilee. And one of the hallmarks of this kingdom presence, this, this new uh, thing going on, uh, we're told in Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. And so news spread about him all through that area. Um, and they brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. I'm reading from the Bible, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed, saved, healed them. And so Jesus does an amazing thing. He said, well, this is a fantastic one-man show. This is incredible. Jesus' plan is far bigger than any one-man show that ever came to earth. Jesus' plan all along was, I'm going to get this thing started, and then I'm, I'm going to be stepping out of this because I've got another mission, and it's got a cross involved, and my life's involved with it. But, um, but, but that doesn't mean my departure means that things are going to have to come to an end. So he takes 12 first. And uh, in, the, in the 10th chapter, uh, we, we're told this. 10th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. So he took this group that he had been training and equipping and talking to about the kingdom, and he tells them, don't go among the Gentiles. This is a smaller mission first. He's just to go to the Jews or enter any town of the Samaritans. Not yet. That will come later. Uh, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Let's go to our own home, our own family first. And uh, he tells them, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. Something new and fuller. And then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. An acknowledgement that there is a spiritual battle uh, with the demonic in some people's lives. And he says, freely you have received. This is a gift you have of enabling others. And he says, so freely give. So they come back. It works. So now the 12 who went out in pairs, and often our prayer ministry imitates that, and we work in pairs. Um, and um, we also, Jesus said, when two or three gather together in my name, there am I present in the midst of them. So we see two prayer ministers and a third person receiving prayer. There's that great, well, there are two or three there, and they're there in his name. Uh, he says, I am there with them. And faith claims that and says, wow, Jesus is here too. And so it works so well. And we get another story. This is in the 10th chapter of Luke. So it's later in the, in the story narrative, a more time has passed. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Jesus, the 12, now 72. Sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. When you enter a town, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. So the, the, uh, the evidence of the kingdom are lives being restored and renewed physically or emotionally or spiritually. Even the demon-possessed, even the physically sick, both ranges of this whole um, spectrum of, of illness and brokenness that human beings have. 
And so uh, we don't have time to get that whole story, but it's a great story. They go out and things happen. And then you get to the end of that, and it says the 72 returned. So they've gone out. You know, that's 72 in Paris. I think that's 36. You have 36 teams going out to these towns ahead of Jesus. And so he's multiplying the effect of this. And uh, it says they returned with joy because they can't believe their hands and their lips and their heart are making the same thing happen in the lives of other people as Jesus himself was doing. You don't have to be special like Jesus to be effective in this ministry they're, they're learning. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So they've dealt with some pretty deep, dark stuff if they're dealing with demonic, and they have waged a war, and they have been successful. They learn later that the name of Jesus is terribly powerful, and to use the name of Jesus against the demonic, the demonic can have incredible effectiveness. So, again, we're really blitzing through this because it's, uh, it's nice to talk about it, but it's a whole lot more important to, to take the risk of experiencing this. But the disciples continue this whole narrative after the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Jesus is crucified on the cross. He's raised from the dead. He appears for a long time, uh, 40 days is what the Bible says, uh, after his resurrection. But then he's gone. It's called the Ascension. And he is lifted up to heaven, and he's gone. He says, but I, he tell, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I do have to go back to my rightful place. But my, I'm going to send you the promised gift of the Spirit. So there we are back to this Holy Spirit again in his work. And so if you were to read the book of Acts, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, somewhere in there, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 14, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 28. See, we don't have time to even tell the Bible stories, how many healing stories there are. All those chapter headings, somewhere in there, there's another healing story of the early church uh, apostles and disciples having experiences of people's lives being changed. Uh, I'll read just one near the end. 28th chapter of Acts, we're at the very end. Paul has been, St. Paul has been shipwrecked, and he's on an island in the Mediterranean, and they end up at, the, the, it goes like this, uh, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. So Paul had been on a ship headed towards Rome. The, sh the ship was shipwrecked. They survived, though. They end up on this island in the Mediterranean. I think it's Maltus, maybe the name of it. And, uh, and so they end up on this, end up after being stranded on the beach, they end up in a nice place, and they're being taken care of. But uh, at the house of Publius, his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. So kind of a, you know, Run, if you will, run the mill, just an inconvenient and unhelpful disease. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. Just another lovely story of uh, their hospitality to these strangers stranded on the beach uh, results in their being touched by these Christians led by Paul, and an elderly father is healed. So, does it stop with the New Testament? No, and... Uh, there are stories in every, we have stories in every age. We have the testimony of, in every century of the church very specifically saying healings continued in the church. You could look at, um, uh, and these will be unfamiliar names, but uh, Irenaeus in the second century and in the Alpha book, they have some stories taken from these authors 
uh, Irenaeus from the second century, Origen from the third century, St. Augustine from the fourth century, St. Francis of Assisi in the 12th century. Read the journals of John Wesley of the 18th century. All full of healing stories there. And there are all kinds of experiences with John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Uh, John Wimber, uh, who was a favorite of ours of the 20th century, who lived on the West Coast, who ultimately died himself uh, of disease, but uh, was a primary major player in the healing ministry of, the, of these ages. So all through, right up to the present, does God heal today? Yes. I've been praying for our daughters since they were infants. Uh, this is the new mic, not the old mic. The, I did not, um, we had prayer in our home growing up, but we, didn't, we were not as intentional, particular in prayer, as Ellen and I chose to be with our children. So we would lay hands on our children at night and pray for them. We had a particular formula, formula pray, watch over thy child, O Lord, as her days increase. Bless and guide her wherever she may be. Strengthen her when she stands. I would grab their little muscles. Comfort her when discouraged and sorrowful. Raise her up and I lift her up out of bed when she, if she fall. And in her heart, I make the sign of the cross. May, may your peace which pass your understanding be with her always. That was our every night formula prayer. And we prayed for them whenever they were sick. Which again, we didn't really do in my home growing up, but we began to pray for them. So years went by, and uh, we had some lovely st experiences with that, of that love and prayers being applied to our children. We get to high school. I don't remember, you remember your teenagers during high school years, but mine were in pretty much rebellion, uh, especially my older one, Jean. She was tough. And uh, don't have time to tell you the stories. Have I had to forgive her? Yes, I don't have the seed of bitterness anymore that I had. Uh, it's all gone. And uh, so, so it's, she, it's her junior year of high school. She's at Somerville High School. And um, uh, she's up in her bed, and she's really sick. And she's got a terrible flu bug. And um, in spite of our somewhat of a chasm between us or a divide, not, it wasn't a, not as horrible as some, but we were definitely on, she was on her track, and mom and dad were on our track. And um, but she, when I came up to her room to say goodnight, she was feeling miserable. She'd been throwing up. She had a fever. And she, uh, she said those precious words. She said, Daddy, would you pray for me? And boy, did it reach a bridge that way. I said, absolutely. And so I laid hands on her, and I prayed for her healing, and just that the Lord would take away the fever and take away the nausea, and uh, that she would uh, sleep through the night and wake refreshed. And you know what happened? He took away the fever, and he took away the nausea, and she slept through the night, and she awoke refreshed. <laughs> and we just, and Jean will tell you that story this day as a story of miraculous healing for her. Nothing had worked up to that point. And we were doing all the right things in terms of medicine and this and that. And uh, after the prayer, she just, she, before I had left the room, she'd already kind of closed her eyes, kind of had rolled over. And she, and that was it for the, but no more of the vomit, vomiting and so on and so forth. So this God's a, he's an awesome God. And now, she's, Yes, yeah, she, now she's healing. She's, she has become a doctor. And so she is a, she's a resident in a program now at UVA. She would, yeah, yeah. And she believes in prayer, and she's going to be a wonderful Christian physician, which we're very proud of her. Um, so now we're going to cut to the chase. Gary, I talked too long. I see. I was trying not to. I told you I had a lot.